All right, it's like not optional if you're going or not after that, y'all. Spring conference is coming up February 18th to the 20th. We are going to descend on Des Moines, Iowa and let them know what's up from Madison, Wisconsin. Okay, we're going to come through. It's going to be an incredible Friday night, Saturday all day, and Sunday morning conference. It is an opportunity for the 21 other salt companies to come together as a family on mission. We're going to get to have a lot of fun as a family, but also center around the mission that salt company exists for. And we are so, so, so excited. This is one of my favorite things that we do every single year. So we want to encourage you to register for conference. The price will go up after January 1st. Currently, it is $65 to register for the conference. It's the lowest price. I think that's actually the lowest price it's ever been at this point for you to be able to register for the conference. So we want you to register for that uh, February 18th to the 20th, register before January 1st. If you're sitting here wondering, how the heck am I going to like find a place to sleep in Des Moines, Iowa? I don't know anyone in Des Moines, Iowa, because let's be honest, it's Des Moines, Iowa. Um, we actually have a block of hotel rooms uh, that we would love for you to get to, si- to, to let us know that you, you'd like to jump in on. So here's what that will look like. You will register for conference. And after you register for conference, we will get a a confirmation email from from that registration, and we will email you asking if you need housing. If you do need housing, we will send you a link within that email for you to just reply yes to, and and then you'll be able to fill out the form. It costs $55. We got it down to $55 for two nights for a hotel room per person. That's wildly cheap, by the way. Um, five minutes from where the conference is, super close. It's going to be a sweet time. So $55 for that. And if you don't need housing, then you just reply no, and you can fend for yourself in Des Moines, Iowa. So we would love for you to go. You're actually going to be able to register for conference if you're like, I'm ready. Let's do it. Tonight after Salt Company at the coffee bar, we'll have two computers up, and you'll be able to register for conference tonight. So we'd love for you to do that. Do it while it's cheap. Let us know if you need that housing. Let's get it. Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, we are jumping right back in. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving break. And if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, um, my name is Rudy Hartman. My wife, Molly, who led us in worship along with Jesse is, we're going to be moving here. Actually, the 17th of December, we'll be moving to Madison, Wisconsin to be able to be here on staff with Doxa and with the Salt Company. I've had the privilege to be able to get to know several of you in the room and several of the leaders uh, for Salt Company. I actually got to talk uh, with Lily and Molly, who are studying abroad. Uh, We got to Zoom. It was like 9 p.m. their time and 11 a.m. our time, and it was just such a joy. Uh, You have some incredible leaders here. Lily and Molly, if y'all are listening, we we love you. We're for you. We, We can't wait to have you back. But, man, we have some incredible leaders here at Salt Company, and it has just been a joy to get to know so many of you, and I can't wait to be here with you. And I hope that was enough time that I bought for us to all get to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer is what we're talking about. It's right there on the screen. I'm just going to read it for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's our line for today. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Jesus has been teaching his disciples how to pray. They have asked him, how do I pray? Teach us to pray. And he has responded with this model prayer. So it seems only appropriate that before we jump in tonight that we should pray. So let's go. I'm getting some head nods like, yeah, duh. Right? So, Father, we come and we just ask that you would be here with us. We know that you are. Help us to be aware of it. Teach us dependence tonight. Where the way that we have been formed by culture presses us entirely in the opposite direction of this line of the prayer of Christ. Help us to lean into it this evening. Humble us. Help us. Form us. Shape us. Teach us to pray. God, let us leave here, yes, with more information, but Father, also with transformation, with hearts aflame, with a desire to pray. of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you for you are my rock and my shield you are all that you are and you are nothing in your name amen when i was 19 years old uh my family my, my parents decided that we were going to go on like a family vacation to mont tremblant which is in canada i thought that was a really random place to go on vacation um because i'd never been to canada and i'd certainly never heard of mont tremblant and and, and it turns out this is actually where my parents went on their honeymoon, which, let's just be honest, a weird thing. Can we, just, can we just tell the truth? Shame the devil. That's an odd thing. It's like, hey, you could have been conceived here, but you weren't. Bummer. Uh, like, it's just super strange. So, like, it's like they just took us back to that. I don't, look, I don't know. But they, I love my parents, but that was a weird thing. So it's, it's, I'm 19 years old, and it's like one day, like, I don't know, we're doing like a French-Canadian thing. I think like croissant. That sounds right. right. I'm eating a croissant. Let's say I'm eating a croissant for the sake of the story. In a cafe. Wow, we're crushing it now. Um, and, and I'm at this, I'm, I'm eating this croissant at a cafe with my family. Whatever. There was a conversation with me and my family. I'm embellishing. And they look at me, and they're like, hey, would you like to climb the mountain? And I was like, would I like to climb? Yeah, I'd like to climb the mountain. I never climbed a mountain before. Like, for sure I want to climb the mountain. I'm 19 years old. Are you kidding me? I, like, I said, oh, yeah, like Kool-Aid style. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I was, like, busting through. Yes, I want to climb the mountain. So my parents are like, cool, we'll set you up to climb the mountain. Mountain looks huge, and it only gets bigger as we hike, like, two miles to get to actually the base of this mountain and start to climb up it. And it was like mountain climbing for dummies, right? So it's like the two little carabiners, and it's, it's like the rope all the way across. But there, there were these sections, and there was this one section where I was just on this, like, six inches of ledge. And it's my—I'm just, like, got these two little clips on this little wire going against th this mountain, like, the face of this mountain. I look out behind me, and it looks kind of not like that because it wasn't snow. But like mountains and trees and like landscape behind me, they told me a 300 meter drop below me, meters because Canada. And, um, and, and, the, and I'm just like sitting here like, oh my gosh, I am like, it's these two little clips in the six inch ledge or a 300 meter drop. In that moment, I felt very, very small next to something very, very large. When we get to this point in the Lord's Prayer, I feel very, very small next to something very, very large when I pray this line of the Lord's Prayer. Because it, almost, it just feels out of place. Like, can we just tell the truth? Our Father in heaven, 
I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's the first time we sang. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is a light that the darkness can't deny. Like, like your name cannot be overcome. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All hail King Jesus. We just sang songs about this. Where's the song about daily bread? I don't have one. How do, I, how do I juxtapose uh, father, name, kingdom, bread? It, it almost feels inappropriate. Like it feels out of place. Like Jesus, like, what are you doing here? And that might sound like a weird question to ask, but if you're, as you study your Bible, and I hope that you read it, and as you get to parts that are confusing and are surprising when Jesus does something, and I, I know that you will, when you get there, you can ask that question. Jesus, what are you doing here? Jesus, what, <laughs> how does that fit? Give us this day our daily bread. I think the answer to that question is crucial to our practice of prayer. Like I just prayed before this. I, I really hope that you guys get information and understanding as we teach you this prayer. But I more fully hope that you learn how to pray and that you desire it all the more fully. And it becomes a part of the way that you live and move and, and have your being as a human being in the West in the 21st century on a campus in the capital city. That you would be a man or woman who knows how to pray. And Jesus is teaching us a very important piece of how to pray by teaching us right after he says, Father, name, kingdom, he says, bread. Jesus is teaching us about the necessity of both centering and asking in prayer. It's centering and asking in prayer. It's interesting. The first half of this prayer is about centering our hearts, orienting ourselves towards God as the Father whose name is holy, who, who is the king of the kingdom, whose kingdom is coming, whose will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We become consumed with God as we follow this template of prayer. And then Jesus teaches us to ask. Then Jesus teaches us to ask for daily bread, to ask for forgiveness, to ask not to be led into temptation and for protection from the evil or the evil one. And we can put this up on the screen. Jesus is teaching us that prayer is not one or the other, but rather that prayer is one and then the other. It's not one or the other when it comes to centering or asking. It is one then the other when it comes to centering and asking. And when it comes to this, two threats arise in our prayer life, which stem from doing one without the other. We can ask without centering when it comes to prayer, or sometimes we can center without asking. Now, first, asking without centering seems obvious. It's like genie in a Bible, wish, genie in a Bible, what? Genie in a bottle, wish list type prayer. And sometimes, the, and I want to say this, sometimes you need to do that. You're just like, God, I don't know what's going on, but I need you to help me in this John right now. But when that becomes the only way that you pray, when it becomes the dominant way that you pray, it's just you bringing your wish list of desires, things that you want to God, you start to almost take the practice of occult manifestation into your prayer life. This is literally the words of Jesus saying, don't babble like the Gentiles. Like, don't just repeat these things over and over, thinking that if you repeat them more, then you will get them because you'll bring them into existence. This is not a genie in a bottle wish list type of prayer. The temptation here is that you make prayer so much about yourself that you neglect to consider the one that you were praying to in the first place when you ask without centering. However, there is a second temptation. 
and it's to center yourself on God without ever actually asking him for anything. It's to make all of your prayers only about God. And before I get kicked out for being a heteric with that sentence, let me just explain. There is absolutely time, which is good and right, for you to just be like, I am going to praise and pray and center my heart alone on God. I'm taking this break in between classes, this drive from here to work, in the midst of apparently there's terrible traffic today. Everybody told me that on the way, and it was wild. Like, I'm, it's consistently bad traffic, bad traffic, bad traffic, bad traffic. Good place for a praise break in the midst of your practice of prayer. That you would center your heart on God. That is good but it is not all that prayer is. I would argue that based on this model prayer of Jesus, we can miss out on a crucial part of prayer when we look at this verse or, or this portion on daily bread and respond with a practice of prayer that essentially says no. Let us not bring our needs before God. Let us just pray considering God and never bringing us actually into the equation. Here's what happens when you do that. You create this separation between life with God and life on earth. You say, I've got my life on earth, I've got my daily needs, I've got my desires, I've got the things that I want, I've got the things that I'm going through over here, and then over here I've got my life with God, and it looks pretty, and it looks clean, and it's a Thursday night, it's a Sunday morning, it's a connection group, and I don't let these two things touch. When I pray, I'm going to put, oh yeah, I'll throw a little adoration up towards the Father, but I won't actually bring my anxiety to Him. I won't bring my pain to Him, I won't bring where I'm hurting to him because it's within the midst of that separation of my life over here on earth and my life with God over here, a separation, this false separation of the secular and the sacred. We, we split these apart because in the midst of that separation, we feel safe. We feel safe. We don't integrate the two because it's not safe. I wonder if that's a significant problem with your prayer life as it has been with mine in the past is that my prayer has been too safe. Perhaps the issue is not that we ask too much of prayer. It is that we ask too little. That we are so separate from prayer in our practice. We so separate our life from God in prayer that we never, we, we will pray that. We'll pray kingdom. We'll, we'll, we'll pray name. We'll, we'll pray all these things. We'll pray one, but we won't pray the other. We won't ask. Just a quick exercise with this. It's just a quick one to consider. Like, if God answered in the affirmative of every prayer that you prayed over the last week, like, what would have happened? Like, like how would the world be different? Maybe that's too big. How would Wisconsin be different? How about Madison? UW? How about your dorm? How about your apartment? How about your, your relationship with your roommate? Your boyfriend or your girlfriend? How would your family be different? Your relationship with them? Who, who would have been saved and given their life to Christ and surrendered to him as Lord and Savior? Who would be healed? Who would be free? Jesus asks us to bring our daily needs and our daily desires to him in prayer. When we don't bring our requests to God, it's like we're saying, God, you're so strong and so massive and so incredible that you're too distant to actually care about what I'm going through. And, and, without, and Jesus just refuses to give any room for that sort of thinking about prayer at all. It's not one or the other. It is one than the other. Jesus ties our consideration and centering on God in prayer with dealing with our needs and our desires. 
Jesus is teaching that there is a moment where our prayers of adoration, of understanding your Father, your name is holy, your kingdom's coming, when those overflow into understanding that he is actually involved in the daily needs of my life. For my English majors, it is a shift of the direct object in our, this prayer from God to us. And it's crucial because it helps us understand something we have mentioned almost every week through this series, that he is not just powerful and different, he is also personal and near, even in our daily bread. Which brings us to our focus for this evening. Give us this day our daily bread. This line of our prayer causes us to deal with our daily dependence. I asked my friend what she thought, my friend jo Joanna, what she thought of, of this verse in particular, and, and she just sat there for a minute and just so wisely, like, actually thought before speaking, which is like, man, what a crazy idea. Um, and she, she just thought before speaking, and she, she looked down, and she looked up at me, and she's like, you know, I don't think I think about it a lot. The homegirl said the quiet part out loud. Yo, why would you think about it a lot? We are so far removed from the first century economy of a daily wage, where if I don't work, I don't eat. We are in the 21st century West, in, in the midst of a campus and a, and a capital. The idea of needing daily bread feels foreign. So what do we do? We just skip this line of the prayer and move on to forgiveness? Let's just wrap this gun up and sing and say amen? Like, no, we, we need to deal with this because it feels foreign. It might be one of the most crucial lines of this prayer because it is so distant from our lives. Forgiveness, yeah, I need forgiveness and I need to forgive others. Temptation, I experienced that. Daily bread? I didn't wake up thinking about that this morning. So what does that look like? What do we do? Let's do some work around it. From the jump, we need to understand, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. From the jump, we need to understand that we were designed dependent. We are design dependent. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see God design men and women to need things. And you and I share in these very same needs. Certainly a need for that is a dependency on God. It is easy to go straight to the spiritual with this. But I want you to just pause before you go to the spiritual and just live in the physical. Because this bread that he's talking about is physical bread. And, and these needs are physical needs. There is a daily need for food, for water, for air, general needs that we were created with and that God designed and created this world to explicitly meet. Genesis chapter 1 verse 29, it says, God also said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. You are dependent and I have provided. Genesis chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 say something very similar. Again, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man that he had formed. <coughs> and the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food. A daily need, a daily dependence that we were designed dependent upon. You keep reading and you see that it's not just food or water, but even a dependency in each other. God looks at man and he says in Genesis chapter 2, 18, it is not good that man is alone. So in these two, he creates Eve. And in these two people of the two genders, which perfectly complement each other, God creates companionship, which is seen in marriage, but is also seen in friendship and in community. With food and water, we're aware of our dependence. 
dependence and more and more scholarship is coming out about our dependence on companionship. If I can nerd out with you for just a moment, Mahari Boe of Nottingham University shared a paper on this idea of the cruciality of community in the midst of COVID-19. And she wrote, in sum, during the mundane interactions of life, community identification serves to enhance and protect mental health and well-being, to which the college student said, amen. Who doesn't want a little more mental health and well-being? Join a connection group. Get in community. That's my, like, shameless plug and advertisement over here. All right. But, like, it, I love when scholarship catches up with scripture. We are designed dependent on food, water, companionship because it would seem that we need it. We were people who were design dependent, and it's crucial to understand that that happened before Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the world. It's not that we're dependent because we have sinned, it is that we are dependent because God has designed us dependent. We were born with need. Jesus, through this line of the prayer, is inviting us to remember that we were designed in this way, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a gracious and good one. It has been a subtext to the entirety of this prayer that Jesus is teaching us to this point. It's actually seen in two previous ideas, God as Father and the kingdom to come. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If we call God Father, that makes us children who have been adopted by God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That means our highest position in life, regardless of the accolade or the accomplishment that we achieve, is that we are a child. You are a child in Christ because of the work of Christ of the Most High God. And by being a child, you are by legal definition a dependent. You are dependent on the Father. Children are dependent, and the Father is the one who provides. It's not just a title. It is a statement of our reality. He is Father. I am child, designed, dependent. And it is seen even more clearly in the kingdom of God that is coming. We saw last or two weeks ago as you pray your kingdom come, that the people of the kingdom are dependent on the king for their well-being, protection, and provision. The idea that we are designed dependent is all over this prayer, but there is a problem. We can admit based on scripture, based on our stomachs, and based on scholarship that we are design dependent. And yet we have a tendency to deny dependence. We're design dependent, but we have this tendency to deny dependence. Let's keep it in the context of this prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray thy kingdom come, and yet Roger taught us two weeks ago that there are so many of us, myself included, if we're honest, we live so much of our lives as if it is actually my kingdom come. We want to establish our rule, our position, our power, our authority, our control. We want to be the kings and queens of our own little kingdoms and let God do his God thing in one or two areas of our life. But really, we want to fully and completely depend on ourselves. We want to deny our dependence. And before you're like, yeah, that's like my roommate. How about you take a look in the mirror and get this quick litmus test? I want you to think of the last time that you were frustrated with someone that you are frustrated with your boss or a professor or a friend or your roommate, parent. And I want you to consider, if you were frustrated with that person because they broke a law of the kingdom of God or because they broke a law of the kingdom of you, the law that we ascribe to, the law that we follow will reveal the kingdom that we love. Our personal frustrations with people can act as a litmus test as to whether we are acting like we make our own laws and our own rules so that we can be completely dependent on ourselves, or if we look at God in his way as the better and true way for the good life and follow him as the king of the universe. But what causes 
Why do we push back on design and deny our dependence? Quite simply, because it's only one word and it's pride. It's our pride that drives us to deny our design dependence. And this pride can be seen as a soft pride or as a hard pride. See, a, a hard pride can be seen in, our, in the condition of our anxious ambition. Our anxious ambition. I want to be careful here because I'm not saying that ambition is bad. I actually love ambition. I hope that you have a holy and good ambition. I am personally an ambitious person. I think that ambition is a gift, but the gift can be tainted when it is shaped by the cultural and chronic anxiety that is woven into the tapestry of the culture that is in the air you breathe. Anxious ambition comes when we look at ourselves and we look at our lives and we're convinced that we're not enough and we don't have enough. So you work to yourself to the bone to get to this ever elusive status of having more or even just having enough in comparison to what you presently have. This unsatiable idea and drive to being better than you presently are, which is actually a comparison of being better than you think other people think that you should be. Worse, we're convinced by the hero myths of our colleges and in our fields of study that we have to do it on our own, figure it out on our own, so that we can be the self-made, ambitious person. When there has never been anyone that was self-made, you can just ask their parents (laughs) or their professors or their friends. There is an anxiety in the fabric of our culture that wraps us up in this cocoon of feeling like we have to do more, earn more, be more, and that we have to do, earn, and be more on our own for our own sake. So we study at the expense of our well-being, at the expense of our friendships, and at the expense of our worship of God. We work ungodly hours because our anxious ambition has made us so insecure that the only thing that can give us a false sense of safety and security is getting the next good grade or having the next completed project. We have to earn it for ourselves. It's the hard pride of anxious ambition that causes us to deny our dependence. But there's also a soft pride that can be seen when we have an apathetic abundance. There's never been another generation that's had as much as this one. We have so much. Few, if any of us in this room, likely had to worry about where our daily bread would come from today. In the midst of our anxious ambition, we were able to very quickly find or order a snack or have one of those little cool robot jars like show up to your dorm. We have constant entertainment from the cyborg in our pocket masquerading as a phone that makes us more and more machine and less and less human every day. We have everything that we think that we need to make it. In fact, in some cases, in a lot of cases, we have more than we need specifically and particularly on the global scale. We have so much more than we need. So why even bother praying? Why bother considering God? Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, thanks, God. I'll go get it out of the fridge. I think of these words in Proverbs 30, verse 8, where the writer says, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food that I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Augustine, the ancient or the early church father from North Africa, believed this might have been the very verse that was on Jesus' mind as he was teaching this line of this prayer. Do you see the denials of dependence in here? God, don't give me wealth so that in my apathetic abundance, I don't forget you and say, who is the Lord? Why do I need him? 
God, don't give me poverty so that in my sense of lack, I don't grow anxiously ambitious to the point at which I sin against others so that I can get ahead. Apathy and anxiety deny our dependence on the God who will provide for us as we come to him. And we get caught in this vicious vortex of being anxious and apathetic. And at the root of both is a pride that convinces us of the lie that we can get all that we need on our own. Not considering the fact that we weren't there when it was all created. Functionally, it is a claim that we don't need God. We deny our dependence on him to fill both our stomach and our souls and it is like oil and water when pride and prayer mix they're in diametric opposition to each other the 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 way that the destructive nature of pride says that i can do it all and i don't need anyone or anything and dependent prayer says that i am design dependent and need to bring my needs to the designer god himself they don't mix Pride in prayer is often revealed not in what we pray for, but in what we don't pray for. The things that we, if we're honest, don't think we actually need God for. It's all company. It's a hard word. We're reminded again that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. In our very human desire to make much of ourselves, we forget that we were designed dependent. And here we see the line and the prayer of Jesus teaching us to directly confront this reality as we ask God to give us, to provide for us as a people who are daily dependent. In prayer, we approach God with a humble assurance because we understand how massive he is and how small we are. And yet with all of his bigness, he loves and cares for and provides for all of our smallness. And in our smallness, in our humility, we are invited to ask. We're invited to practice daily dependence. And inviting us to come to him, to ask him to provide our daily needs rather than relying on ourselves alone. We recognize God cares about and dignifies our daily needs. As we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now the phrase daily bread is the curious one. Like why didn't Jesus just say daily need? And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, it's actually a throwback to when God provided literal bread for the people of Israel in the Old Testament. The second book of the Old Testament is the book of Exodus. The first part of it illustrates the way that God freed Israel as they were enslaved to the nation of Egypt. And there's this pivotal moment where they they leave the nation of Egypt. They are led out by Moses, this kind of savior figure. They are led by him through the Red Sea that is miraculously opened up just for the nation of Israel to be able to pass through it. And these people, with sand wet between their toes from walking through the sea that God split, begin to complain. Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and ate the bread that we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. The Israelites are complaining about their current circumstances, even though God has freed them from slavery and captivity. And if you're here tonight and you have no idea about anything about this God, I just want you to know this one thing about him, that he sets the captives free and he provides for them. Chapter 16, verse 4, he says, I am going to to rain bread from heaven for you. 
The people are to, uh, the pe- I'm sorry, uh, the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And if you were to zip all the way to, down to verse 18, you would see that in this recording of this miraculous event, that some gathered a lot, some gathered a little, but when they measured it, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. They had exactly what they needed. God provided exactly what they needed when they needed it they didn't earn it but god graciously provided it for the people that he had freed and it is here that we are invited to see what it looks like for us to be daily dependent on god now before you sit back and you're like dope i am going to drop out of uw and go to a desert and wait for bread to fall i want you to just take a breath (laughs) i want you to understand that effort is not the same as earning God does provide for us in our daily need, but he also gives, because and, and that, that's a sign that he gives dignity to our body and dignity to our need, but he also gives dignity to work and to our involvement in our trusting of him to provide as we bring our daily needs before God himself and then go and do our daily work day after day. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are bringing him the needs of our day. We are saying we trust you with the needs that we have, and we trust that you have given us what we need for today. And here's the beauty. God isn't just rubber stamping your daily need. He's not just rationing out his provision arbitrarily and carelessly looking at you like, well, that better be enough. And if it's not, you overspent. No, he's in the details of your daily dependence on him as the one who is meticulously aware of the circumstances you find yourself in. He is also the one who provides what we need for that day. And our pride, oh, I can feel it in my body as I say that. My pride wants to collide with that sentence so hard. But prayer reminds us, and prayer brings us to the feet of the one who is Father, and whose name is holy, and he is the King, and reminds us that he's Father, he's holy, he's King, and he provides what we need, and invites us to bring our needs to him each day. And it's there that we begin to learn something from Christ that our culture can never teach us. Contentment. It is in the midst of our daily dependence that contentment is developed into a Christian. There is a temptation at this point to get lost in the noise of our culture, to get lost in the noise of our longings for more, to the idea of daily bread, to get lost in the noise of all the things you could have that are marketed directly to you and all around you. And the invitation of Jesus in this prayer is to stop and to bring all of your wanting and all of your need to the Father whose name is holy, who is king, and to come to him with your dependence for your physical needs. That means that if you're here today and you find yourself wrapped up in anxious ambition, if you find yourself shaped by a culture that uh, moves you intentionally towards anxiety, you're invited to pray, give us this day our daily bread and look to Christ to provide the peace that you need to be content. A practice that might actually help you grow in your contentment when you feel anxious and in your ambition could be gratitude. Actually thanking God for the things that you do have instead of complaining to him for the things that you don't. Thanking God for what we do have and asking God for the daily bread that we need for the day ahead of us. Gratitude for the very ambition that you have, the drive that you have, the desire that you have, the passion that you have, but also peace and freedom from the anxiety that marks the culture that you're in by being grateful for what you do have and for what you have accomplished with the help of God and for God himself. 
gratitude is your means of God teaching us to be content, not anxious ambition. If we find ourselves here in apathetic abundance, you're invited to pray, give us this day our daily bread and develop contentment by being generous. Here's my shameless hope for all of you. I hope that you crush it in your classes, ethically, but that you crush it in your classes, that you get a great ethical job, that you provide for your family and hopefully for the generations beyond your own family. That you make a ton of money and you give a ton of it away to see the kingdom of God expand across the state of Wisconsin, the nation of America, and across the seas of the world. My, my hope is that you do that. What if God doesn't just allow you to become wealthy and you're crushing it? so that you could grow apathetic in your abundance, but what if he actually blesses you to bless others? What if he blesses you so that you might grow content at a particular point and then be so sacrificially generous with the rest that you are the answer to this prayer from God to another person, that when someone else needs daily bread, you're actually the one that's able to provide it for them. Not that you become apathetic in your abundance and solely focus in on your prideful self, but that you would look out and say, God, how could I use what you have given me for the sake of others, for the good of Madison, and for your glory? I have this thought just in my head. So what if when we pray this, when we are asking God for our daily bread, we're asking God to form us into the kinds of people who trust him alone with all that we have. What if this is a prayer intended to embed dependence within our DNA so that we would not walk in anxiety or in apathy, but rather in gratefulness and in generosity? What if as grateful and generous people, content with what God has given us, centered on his name being holy, knowing that we're children of him, what if it is a people who are grounded in daily dependence to God that he actually uses to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven through his prophets? That, that we see his kingdom come in ways in Madison and at UW as it is in heaven. We see his will done in Madison generous like God, and then we begin our asking in prayer, give us this day our daily bread. While this prayer is explicitly about our physical needs in life, there is an echo in this verse about our spiritual needs as well. We are designed dependent. Our body has daily needs, but so too does our soul. Look at the same screen next to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4. This is uh, the completion of the story of the bread being provided in the wilderness, and it says, it was done so that they might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that word that comes from the mouth of God, we see in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, Jesus Christ, who moved into the neighborhood and lived the perfect life that you and I could never live and died the death on the cross that we deserved. He became sin, though he knew no sin, so that we might be able to become the very righteousness of God in Christ. He dies taking sin and death 
with him and rises victoriously so that we might share in his victorious life. His name is Jesus and he is the savior of the world. Now we saw that in John chapter one, but it's interesting through the gospel of John, Jesus is recorded as using a variety of statements to define and describe who he is. And he would start these statements with the words I am. He would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. But in John chapter 6, verse 35, he would say this, I am the bread of life. Salt Company, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are certainly confessing that we are those who were design dependent and have a God who cares about us and provides for us, yes, in our physical needs, but also in our spiritual needs. That in Jesus, everything we need for life is found in him. Our souls are starving from the day that we are born. They are anemic and starving. So when we see anything that resembles some sort of peace, some sort of joy, some sort of pleasure, some sort of well-being, some sort of goodness, we pounce. And we are prone to fully give ourselves over to these things. For me, it was alcohol, it was weed, it was women, it was popularity for a long time. I denied my dependence and tried to do it all on my own. I was voracious, I was starving. There was a gap that I needed to fill. I had so much that I was apathetic towards God, and yet I had so little that I was anxious in my ambition. And while using these things would dull the pain of the hunger in my soul for a moment, it was as if the next day I was twice as hungry as the day before. It's like I was Milo in the Digitopolis in the book, The Phantom Tollbooth, eating subtraction stew. The more that I ate, the hungrier that I realized I was. Sin is subtraction stew for the soul. The more that we eat, the hungrier we become. It never fills and it never satisfies. And where the hunger, a yearning, a longing, a need for something that this world cannot provide comes into light, then we must, in the words of C.S. Lewis, understand that we were made, perhaps, for an another world and that Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfills the needs of your soul the hunger of your soul to return home to relationship with God Martin Luther near the end of his life is quoted as saying wir sind bettler hoch es which is German for we are beggars this is true we are beggars this is true but here's the beauty of us being beggars there is a benevolent brother in Christ who is our bread of life, where we ate and ate and ate and eat and eat and eat of the subtraction stew of sin to our souls. He gives us himself as the bread that satisfies our souls. He is our daily bread. He is the daily satisfaction for our souls so we can come to him daily. We can rehearse the gospel in the morning, read the scripture, know that he's with us as Emmanuel, God who is with us. We can pray throughout the day, discuss him with friends. We can come again and again and again and be satisfied in him over and over and over. And we can be beggars who are not pointing to ourselves as the ones who are satisfied. We can be beggars pointing others toward the bread and true bread of life, who is Christ himself. He's provided that for us in the gospel. how little we consider the idea of daily bread 
Would you help us where we feel anxious to bring our anxiety to you? Knowing that you are the one who meets our need and you are the one who brings peace. Would you help us in our apathy to not ignore you, but rather to see others and see that you have given us what you've given us to be a blessing. Help us to be grateful. Help us to be generous. Help us to be us with each breath that you provide. Teach us with each meal that you provide, with each friendship that you provide. Teach us today that you are the one who gives us each day the bread of life. And for the ones, the many who don't know you as the daily bread for their soul, we would ask, Lord, that you would become their bread of life, that they would turn from the subtraction tree of their sin and look to you as their bread of life. Jesus, we love you. We ask that you be the one we're grateful for, the best that we need you. Even if we're just saying,